Hello, God bless you. God bless you. We're going to sing to the Lord. We're going to sing to our God. And I'm here with my granddaughters. You can see she's taller than me now. And we're very happy because God and his promises that he has spoken of, he has been fulfilling year after year. God has been fulfilling. I remember the first owned property of the church, which was in Bogota in Las Ferias. And it was made into a very beautiful temple. And I remember that project was executed here by the brother Humberto Romero. He finished that project in Las Ferias. And well, today it doesn't exist anymore because they're now building an even bigger temple. But in that time, when it was inaugurated, it was for about 2,000 people. And the Lord spoke that day and he said, from here on out, many temples will be built. And well, that has continued to happen. I, don't, I think it was around 1998. I think it was in 1998 and the Lord made that promise and has been fulfilling his word because there are many church owned properties for the church that have been being or are being built in many countries where the church is located. There are church owned properties there. Glory to the Lord. It is God's fulfillment. And this is why he deserves that we praise him and we glorify him and give him honor and glory. And we're going to sing. What are we going to sing? Chorus 139. things that God has done for us. Honor and glory be for our God. And someone else said we're going to sing a chorus in English, but I think we're going to need someone to step forward and help us sing this chorus. Oh, Valerie is going to sing. Which is the chorus we're singing? I know that you're and which chorus is that? 172? 172 I know that you are here, my Lord, and 
And we give the glory to the Lord. Honor be to our God. And we rejoice in the Lord. And the Lord understands every language because the universal language that we speak to God in is in our heart. Thank you. You may be seated, brothers and sisters. And I know we're joyful once again, very joyful because God has given us this place for the brothers and sisters here in Homestead. I, when I visited you, the room was a bit small and I would tell you, well, let us pray so that God gives us a bigger space. Let us pray to God. And well, the Lord, he has granted these desires. And so this is why we give the honor and glory to the Lord. And this is why we are going, we're going to open our Bibles in Psalm 62. Psalm 62, let us honor the Lord with Psalm 62, which says, Truly, my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. Please continue with verse 2. Trust in God, right? Trust. This is the promise. And it says that only God, he is our rock, our salvation. He is our defense. And we will not be moved. We will not be discouraged or faint-hearted because God will always be with us, supporting us. He is our support. Verse 3. Now, there is a question here. How long will you attack a man? Now, this man is Jesus Christ. You shall be slain, all of you. Now, this is his brethren at the time, the Jews. Like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. And so, this question is asked to his enemies, asking why they would attack him. That they would try to destroy him. And in verse 4, they all consult. This is in reference to the enemies, the Jews, who in that time, in that time over 2,000 years ago, they despised the Lord and did not allow, they did not allow him to preach nor make himself known. This is why in verse 4 it says, They only consult to cast him down from his high position. Cast who down? Well, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now those enemies, it says of them, they delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Now this was true. Because this is living by appearances only. With their mouth, they would bless, but inwardly they would curse. So this is just living by appearances, living by a theory, a religious theory, where people, they memorize a series of rules, a series of obligations, of beliefs, traditions. They make up precepts and commandments made by men and so man 
begins to feel very religious and begins to feel that they are a follower of God and that they are professing a true doctrine. And, well, they pretend to be holy. They pretend to know a lot and they preach and they declare all these things. But inwardly, they are far from God. They are far from God because they only live by those appearances only and those rules of looking and judging and criticizing others, whether they are keeping the rules that have been placed by such and such religion, whichever religion that may be. So they are far from God. And that is exactly what happened in that time to the Jews. They said to revere the law of Moses. They, they kept the law of Moses and they would criticize the Lord Jesus Christ because he didn't do certain things that traditions and the elders had made up throughout time and our lord jesus christ did not do those things and they would criticize him but yes of course before the people and everyone else they would pretend and appear to be very wise and uh, holy people and that everything that they were doing was right and upright before god and this is why the lord jesus christ many times he declared that they were an evil generation, liars. And with good reason, the Lord said, with their mouths they bless, but they curse inwardly. And this happened to them in that time, and it happens today as well. With those who profess different religions, and they leave behind or they put aside the true living God without having any fear or the longing of having that God in their life. But they become conformist with their own rules and they forget the Bible. They have put the Bible aside because today the Bible is almost a bit scorned. And for those who are religious, the Bible is now extra. And they have made up their own doctrines, their own knowledge concerning God and they have their theories, and they have their different philosophies, and that is what they preach, and that is what they teach people. And this is why today there are no values, there are no manners and or fear, and no respect for life, no respect for other human beings. Today we live in complete chaos and constant danger at all times. Even within our homes or out of our homes, we are in constant danger. And thanks to God, we who are getting to know this path of the Lord, He protects us. He is our refuge. He is our rock. But if it were not so, well, then we would be just like everyone else outside in the world. That all of those things, those disasters and calamities and dangers happen to everything that we are seeing on the news. Danger always on the prowl. But we have found the path because God has allowed us to know his path. But so everyone else in their stubborn whims and their own beliefs, they are without God. Therefore, God expects us 
that as all of these things are happening, all of these anomalies, flaws in man and mankind, God expects us to be those pioneers, that we are preaching to people and we are teaching people fear of God, believing in God, trusting in God, seeking God. Here we are, and God has us, or he has, work for us a role to execute and what awaits us is a lot and we must render account to God one day of all that he is giving charge of us. Why is he giving us this? Why has he given us this place? Well, to come and learn and to come and know more and to receive power from on high and those abilities so that we can go out and speak to people and evangelize people starting with our families, our neighbors, friends, and everyone who God presents in our lives so that we may speak to them about God. This is what the Lord wants us to do. Not that we remain seated in a chair the rest of our life just as listeners of the word, but that one day all of us may be those workers, those laborers of God to go out and to speak to people about God and to tell them get to know God. You need to know God so that God may protect you so that nothing bad or painful or sad things happen to you in life as what we are seeing through all of the news. And so we must be here preparing ourselves to serve our God for we ought to also love those beings who are without God. And in Psalms, when we read these psalms, we reflect, just as we are doing so now, we are reflecting. For example, in verse 5, what does verse 5 say? Now, this is an invitation to us, an invitation to our soul. What is the soul? Well, I'm a soul. And it says... My soul waits silently for God alone. Now, we are already trusting in God, but everyone else, everyone else outside in the world, what about them? They don't have God. They don't know the way. So they expect that those who do know that we invite them, that we guide them, that we teach them, that we teach them the true way salvation, happiness, and joy that these people are lacking, well, we ought to teach them this path this way. And it reads, for my expectation is from him. Verse 6, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Now, if we have God... We will live and we will enjoy all of these things from his behalf. And we will give to others, to the world, those in the world. We will also give that peace of what we have. That peace of God that we have, we will give to them as well. People, they need to know our God. Please read verse 8. Glory to the Lord. 
But for this to be fulfilled, that we must trust in him at all times, you people, he is telling the people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Now for this to come to pass in the lives of those people, well, we are the ones responsible. And God has sent us to go do that work. And may God help us so that we are able to fulfill and keep this. Now in verse 9, surely men of low degree are a vapor. Now, when it says that men of low degree are a, are a vapor, well, it means that men have had a beginning and an end as physical matter. And again, men of low degree are a vapor. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed, so if you weigh them all on the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. And this is in comparison to God. So... Human beings, we are nothing. And if we are weighed on a scale, well, compared to God, we are nothing. But God has dignified us by the simple fact of just believing in him and trusting him and seeking his face. So God dignifies us. And he too wants to dignify many people. This is why our Lord Jesus Christ, with so much love, so much mercy, he told his disciples, go, go throughout all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, to all human beings. And he who believes shall be saved. This was God's mercy, God's love toward people in all the world. Glory to the Lord. He he did not say, just the people of Israel, only the tribe of Judah. No, he says, go throughout all the world and preach to all. And those who believe will have eternal life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this blessing that God has given us for we are enjoying this blessing because our Lord Jesus Christ came to give us deliverance and this wonderful blessing we before were excluded from God's presence and he came to reconcile us with God. Thanks be to the Lord. Please read verse number 10. This is meaning to say that we should not set our heart on the material things in life. If God gives us abundance, well, thank you and glory to God for that. But if God only gives us the minimum and what is necessary, well, thanks to God for that as well. So we, as it says here, not to set our heart on all of these material things in life, that we should enjoy them and live them, but... Without ever thinking that if I can't enjoy this or that, well, then I can't live. I can't have peace. I can't have joy or happiness. No. If you can enjoy it, well, enjoy it. Thanks to God. If you didn't get a chance to enjoy it, well, thanks be to God. Well, you ate a lot. Thanks to God. If you had, if you ate a little, well, thanks be to God. That if you have three pairs of shoes, thanks to God. If you only have one pair, well, thanks to God. 
Now, this is implying, again, we should not set our heart on material things nor be afflicted by those things, but we should always be with our God, attentive to our spiritual life and always pleasing Him. The material things God gives. But there are people who set their hearts on the material and they enslave themselves and they go crazy to acquire the material. They steal, they lie, they do many evil things in their life to try and attain material things. And this is not what God wants. God has taught us that it is what he gives us and that we will enjoy the abundance, but without setting our heart on that abundance, but Always our sights are on the Lord. This is what we should do. Again, do not trust in oppression nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Verse 11, God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Verse 12, please read. Now, these are God's promises that we should never forget. It reads, Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each one according to his work. This is why we must do good works. We must work and serve God. Have the spiritual gifts, the perfect spiritual gifts to serve the Lord. We, we must learn the way of God. The way of God is learned by reading the Bible time and time again. There we get to know God and we learn. And we acquire spiritual maturity. We begin to acquire knowledge. And when we acquire all of these things with time, God also gives us what is perfect. He begins to give us revelations. He gives us uh, responsibilities and great work because it is in the measure of our spiritual growth. And then will come the time in which we will be perfect, as the Bible says that his church will need to be perfect. But so then the church will not be perfect fully all at once, but the believers will begin to attain that perfection little by little. Some will attain it before others. Just as our Lord himself said, he says the first will be last and the last will be first. But either way, it is not he who runs, but it is of who God has mercy of. And we, yes, we are running a race and we desire to reach that final goal and in this race we are always reading the bible and we are learning about god and he is working the miracle in our lives teaching us to be men and women of god children of god and we should feel proud one day in saying we are children of god so May the mercy of God continue, may continue to be with those who love him, with those who follow him, and with those who want to please him in all things. And so may the Lord bless us all. May God bless you. May he give you wisdom and understanding. And to you as well, those who in the video will be watching, 
may God give you also everything you desire and much more because only God knows what it is that we need. And we ourselves sometimes don't know. So thanks be to the Lord for all that. And now we're going to continue to honor our God. How? Well, with questions. Because with every question, there is a reflection. And we exalt the Lord with his power, his love, and his mercy. Every question is enlightenment to our spiritual life. And we grow. We grow in our spiritual life with the questions and with the answers. And in this way, we reflect on the Lord. The glory be to our God. Yes, sister, please go ahead with your question. Yes, good afternoon, brothers and sisters. May the Lord bless you. I have a question, sister, for the edification of the church. We know that there are many places in which they speak of God, but we have the privilege that God speaks to us. But even having this privilege that is so great, we see that there are believers that look for other places that look for other beliefs even being in the church or speak of other places as if it were the best but they do not live that manifestation of our lord that he speaks to us and allows us to have so many blessings and benefits and when these believers the lord speaks to them in prophecy corrects them teaches them with so much love they still doubt and we try to explain with love and teach them what you, sister, have taught us. But their response is that God is everywhere, but he does not manifest everywhere. So, sister, we want it to come from you, that this response, that this teaching may help these brothers and sisters to be convinced and believe even more that this is the place that God has chosen for him to manifest, that he has chosen this place to give us great blessings, that here he speaks to us, not like in other places where they speak of him. Thank you, sister. May the Lord bless you. Very well. Well, the sister also is saying that these people have already come to the church and have heard prophecy. Okay. Well, people come they listen to prophecy, and since this is coming from God, let us remember, God is the one who allows a person to believe or not, for that is all according to the plan that God has with this man or woman. So, God says, many are called, few are chosen, but this is God who does these things. He calls many, but his chosen, they are few. We as human beings, our duty is to speak to people, testify to them, invite them to the church to come, listen to prophecy, and God is the one who does the work, if God wants, or if he has a plan for this person, and God wants this person to convert to God, God, in this prophetic message that they receive, allows them to be convinced that the word may reach the deepest part of their heart. So the person afterwards continues to congregate in the church. But if God does not have a plan with this person, because God does not have a plan to save them for whatever reason, we don't know why, maybe this person doesn't deserve it. So the person comes and listens to prophecy and leaves. Just as the sister said, they leave and they go to other churches or they go to other places to seek God because... Well, maybe they're not satisfied with what they heard or what, what they experienced here. But let us not worry about that because we don't have the words to convince anybody. 
We can't convince people. The only one who convinces a person is God. It is the Holy Spirit. The only thing we do is testify of the experience I live here in the church. I come here. God speaks to me. He manifests himself. God works miracles and signs. He heals. God has given us peace and joy. This is what we testify. You come and you receive prophecy here and God is the one who acts. And so let us not worry whether or not people come back. Let us not worry because it has happened many times. People don't come back. But then with time, if God has a plan with them, he gives them dreams, he gives them a revelation and he brings them back again or others, they leave. Now that is completely out of our hands. We can't do anything. But we do fulfill in speaking to them about God and inviting them here. That's what we do. Very well. Let us continue with another question. Yes. Well, perhaps that word is used more frequently in Spanish. The word ministry, when they speak of ministry, truly the ministries, which are many, is in reference to the work and role that a person executes in the church of God. Now, if a person, God has given them the gift of laying on of hands, well, you say, well, this person has the ministry of laying on of hands. If there is another person who has a gift of prophecy and prophesizes and they ask them, well, what is your ministry in the church? And to not just say, well, what is your role? What is your responsibility in the church? Well, then they ask, what is your ministry in the church? And then you answer and say, prophesy. That is my ministry. So ministries is all the work that is done here. Sometimes the brothers and sisters, they refer to me as the ministry. And they are more so referencing that as maybe with a capital M. Meaning this ministry of the role and the work God has 
allowed me to execute here in the church, which is a bit more or encompasses more things, a part of that job, aside from the spiritual life of prophecy and laying on of hands and praying for healing and praying for witchcraft and sorcery, of teaching, preaching, right? So all of that is called work, ministry. So I can't say, well, I have 10 ministries. I have the ministry of laying on of hands. I have the ministry of prophesying. No, so then perhaps to understand in our language, because the brother is speaking of translation and interpreting. I'm not sure if it's translated or interpreted the same way. We read in the Old Testament where it said that all the priests were ministers. They were ministers and they ministered to God. That is what it says in the Old Testament. The one who burned the incense, the minister who would cook the showbread, the minister who would turn off the lights in the temple, the minister who organized things, so the person who also performed the sacrifice, and even the priests were ministers to the Lord. They were all ministers. Each of them, they did their work. They had a task, and they would execute that work for which they were appointed to and assigned. The priests were ministers. Now, we can say that we are all ministers as well because we are executing here spiritual work that the Lord has appointed us for. That's it. So, in the Bible and in the New Testament, there are perhaps some distinctions between the roles and the work. For example, Apostle Paul, he said, I'm very happy with the ministry God has given me. That's what he said. He said, I'm happy with the ministry God has given me. What was the ministry of Apostle Paul? Well, the ministry was that he was an apostle, a prophet. He was a preacher. He was a teacher. And he was also a pastor. He executed all of those tasks. And it was then said that that was the ministry that he had been given by God. And he felt very happy with that ministry, with that work. That's the ministry so that we understand this better and believe to be that you yourselves, you are ministers. If you're laying on hands and you're prophesying, you pray for the sick, you are ministering for the Lord. Very well. Let us continue. If there are any doubts or if anyone wants to go a little bit more in depth into this topic of the ministry and the work, then you can go ahead and ask. Go ahead, brother. Well, I think the leader, yes, leader, spiritual leader, that would be, I think, better understood, better understood. Sometimes in the interpretation with different languages, it's, it's a bit hard. It's very hard. In the Bible, it, it is said that it was translated from Greek to Hebrew or Hebrew to Greek. And there are many words that you need to have the wisdom in order to understand because in the moment of the translation it is very difficult to translate those different languages but either way even if it is difficult or not the essence is perfect 
the essence, which is the doctrine and the spirit of God, the presence of God, or the way God acts in us, that is perfect. Whether there are errors in the translation, let us continue forward with another question. Yes, Good brother. Good evening, my beloved sister Maruisa. Uh, may God continue to bless you and also all my brothers and sisters here in attendance and those that will be watching on the video. God bless you all as well. Um, before I ask my question, I would just like to express my gratitude on how grateful and thankful I am for the Lord uh, bringing me to this beautiful place. Buenas noches, hermana, que el Señor lo bendiga. A usted y a todas las personas, a los hermanos que nos están viendo y que están aquí en congregación. Eh, antes de hacer mi pregunta, quisiera mostrar mi, mi gratitud al Señor que me trajo a este hermoso lugar. And each time I read the scripture, sister, I thirst for the living waters of his truth. Um, I have a question that I would like to ask you, if you allow me, please. Cada vez que leo las escrituras, hermana, Tengo esa sed por las esas aguas vivas de nuestro Señor. Eh, si usted me lo permite, quisiera hacerle una pregunta de la Biblia. Uh, my question is in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1 through 6, which it speaks about the wickedness and judgment of man. Mi pregunta está en el libro del Génesis, capítulo 6, versículo del 1 al 6, del 1 al 6 que habla de el juzgar y la maldad de los hombres. I'll read. Sí. Yeah. And the, my question is, sister, is who were these sons of God? Were they angels? And were some of them Satan's angels? And the reason why I ask this um, question is because if we go to Genesis chapter 3, 14 and 15. Mi pregunta es, hermana, ¿quiénes eran estos hijos de Dios? ¿Eran ángeles? ¿Y había también ángeles del diablo? Y hago esta pregunta porque si vamos al Génesis capítulo 3, verso 14 y 15. Sí, brother.
And um, the Lord here is speaking to Satan when he was announcing his punishment for the temptation and fall of man. I, and I hope I'm correct. Um, so for verse 15 um, is very specific to my question in Genesis 6 because I want to know if um, these angels were sent um, or the sons of God were sent from the serpent or Satan to contaminate the woman's womb from what God is speaking here about between your seed and her seed. And was that a way for Satan to try to stop our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, coming to save us? And um, that's my question, sister. I thank you so much for being here and all those that are accompanying with you. And God bless you and God bless everyone that's here. Hermana. La pregunta es, aquí en el verso 15 específicamente, el Señor está hablando sobre eh, el diablo. Y la pregunta del capítulo 6 se refiere a que si esos, esos ángeles del diablo vinieron a contaminar el vientre de la mujer para contender con los hijos de Dios y para evitar que el Señor Jesucristo llegara y, y se creciera la iglesia y las bendiciones. Esa es específicamente mi pregunta, hermana. Y le agradezco al Señor la bendiga, la bendiga a su comitiva y a todos los hermanos y las hermanas presentes. Very well. Well, among human beings, there does not exist that a human being will mate with a spirit. That does not exist. It is matter with matter and spiritual is with spiritual. So our Lord Jesus Christ said, and when he was asked that... A woman married, I think, until this woman married seven brothers. They would say, well, there in eternity, whose wife is she? Because she lived with the seven or she married the seven brothers. So in eternity, whose wife is she? So the Lord said, no, there in eternity, there will be no marriage. No, because everyone will be as angels. Everyone are spirits. So the spirit and matter do not coincide. Here in chapter 5, when in chapter 6 of Genesis, when it speaks of wickedness, now in chapter 3, verse 15, that the brother read, when he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, that is between the devil and the church of God. Between your seed, which is the seed of the devil and the wickedness of the devil, and her seed, the seed of the church, meaning the believers in Christ. This then says, so the church shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. But as it turns out, the church has a head. Now the head is Jesus Christ. So when it says, he shall bruise your head, meaning Jesus Christ as the head of the church would be bruising and destroying the devil. The devil, the only thing that he could have done to the Lord was only to bruise his heel. Something very simple and small. This came to pass on the day that our Lord Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross of Calvary. On that day, this verse was fulfilled because... 
the Lord overcame death and he defeated the devil. So this is when he, our Lord, bruised the head of the devil and the Lord triumphed for he resurrected on the third day. He triumphed over death and over the devil. He bruised his head while the devil... The only thing he did was bruise his heel, which that was all of the persecution that the Lord withstood during his life uh, as a man. He suffered. That was what the devil did against him. But he bruised him on the head on the day of the crucifixion. This came to pass, this verse 15. And then in chapter 6, when it says that the sons of God began to multiply upon the face of the earth... Well, we're going to read a little bit here. There's a list of the sons of God here in chapter 5 of Genesis. We have some few sons of God or the ones who God highlighted here. They're written about so that we are able to have a better idea so that we can maybe understand a bit better what happened and the sons of God, who they are. Now, in that time... There, there were tribes, and each tribe was ruled by a chief or a patriarch. They were also patriarchs, and this patriarch was a judge, was a priest, was the one who ruled. He governed, and he was everything for the tribe. Now, they were then called the sons of God. So, in chapter 5, in verse Starting from verse 4, it lists that Adam and Eve had a son named Seth. Now, Seth begot a son named Enosh. Enosh had a son named Cainan. And then there follows Mahalalel, verse 12. And then 15, we have Jared. Verse 18, we have Enoch. Verse 21, we have Methuselah. And in verse 25, we have Lamech. Verse 29, we have, or 28, we also have Lamech. And then 29, we have Noah. These people were the sons of God. They were patriarchs who governed over the people or a tribe. And they were the sons of God. And God wanted them to marry among their own families that they ought to conserve their lineage their seed their blood their bloodline and that they should not contaminate themselves with people from the outside because at that point the earth had already been populated and there were many people who were sinning and had become idolaters and had been committing a lot of sin and wickedness before God and God did not want his children that these patriarchs ought to marry or have physical contact with all of those idolatrous women of all of the people who had devoted themselves to idolatry and filthiness. And so this is why in chapter 6, it happened that when men, now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them and they were attractive, but they were idolaters. So the sons of God, they began to come and join with these people and they became idolaters and did the same things they did. They began to de defile themselves and God was not pleased with that. But nevertheless, these sons of God, because Jared or Cainan or Methuselah, they were the father or patriarch of many 
of a bunch of people, over a thousand people. So it says that they began to contaminate themselves with the world, with all of those who had become idolaters, who had no fear of God. And this is when the Lord is displeased and God then has the determination to send the great flood to destroy them. But he leaves one. Now, Noah, among all, he found favor in the eyes of God because everyone else, they had failed God. All of these other generations of patriarchs. Now, Noah found favor and found grace in the eyes of God. And he used him to save people. Because the Lord destroyed everyone with the great flood, only Noah and his fam family remained. So the angels, these spirits, that's not what this is about. In no moment were they were the ones who married women, nor did they conceive children. No, they were men of God. These sons of God were those patriarchs that existed from the time of Adam. They were important people who God always had because the Lord from the very beginning had planned that our Lord Jesus Christ would come. He would come from a tribe. He would come from a people created by God, formed by the Lord. So this is why God, he kept in mind in selecting his people. But here, Noah was the only one that remained. After Noah, well, many years went by until finally the earth is repopulated. And once again, people begin to sin. People once again committed sin and fell into idolatry they turned away from god and they were turned away from him until finally the lord called abraham and abraham his father was also a patriarch who came from the family of noah so this is when god calls abraham to once again the lord begins to select his people so that they are not living in the contamination and sin of the world this is what happened here but in no moment are we going to say that a spirit went and married a woman something of matter to conceive a child with? No, this is not true or real. It's not logical. Our Lord Jesus Christ would then be contradicting his teachings. So here are the children of God. They are listed here, although the sons of God here, I think they were probably much more because the patriarchs, we know that they ruled over people and we don't know how many people were a part of that clan who belonged to the same clan. So this is what happens so that once again, you can go back and read and take your time reading chapter three, four, five of Genesis. Now let's continue forward with another question. Uh, Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, thank you, Sister Maria Luisa, for being here. Um, good afternoon, brothers and sisters. Uh, promise from God that I would be asking you a question. Um, I feel very blessed and very fortunate. I've only been uh, gathering in this church for under a year and uh, first time to be able to meet you and, and see you face to face. So I feel very privileged to do so. Buenas tardes, hermana. Eh, buenas tardes a todos los hermanos, que el Señor los bendiga. Me siento muy feliz y privilegiado. Eh, llevo en la iglesia menos de un año y es una promesa cumplida del Señor que estaría delante de la presencia de la hermana haciendo la pregunta y me siento muy feliz y privilegiado por ello. Um, my, uh, my question comes from two scriptures. Second uh, Samuel 24, verse 1 and 2 and First Chronicles 21, verse 1 and 2. It's the senses of David. 
mi pregunta viene de dos eh, diferentes pasajes de la Biblia. El primero es en Samuel 24, verso 1 y 2. Y el, el primero, segundo segundo Samuel? Samuel, hermano. Segunda de Samuel 24, versículo 1 y 2. Sí. Yes. Uh, sister, I, I would like to, for you to just explain a little bit more in detail uh, two things. When we read the scriptures um, and we, we read or, or we live our lives and sometimes things happen, um, how can we have better discernment or in the scriptures or in our life to know whether or not you know, God has withdrawn from us or if it's an attack, a demonic attack? Uh, and then my second question, very similar to it, is what was David's sin? Hermana, me gustaría que nos explicara eh, cuando leemos la Biblia o en nuestra vida cotidiana, cómo tener entendimiento y discernimiento de la diferencia de lo que son pecados que tenemos nosotros, ataques que el enemigo tiene en contra de nosotros. Eh, y mi segunda parte de la pregunta sería, ¿cuál fue el pecado de David? Well, it seems like the brother read something that apparently it seems like it's a contradiction that God moved David. And in the other part of Chronicles, you see that Satan, that Satan was the one who moved him to number the people. That's what we read, right? So, something, so the question, I guess it doesn't go with what we've read. Because it says here, God moved David in Samuel. And in Chronicles, it says that the Satan moved David. So, there seems to be a contradiction, but there isn't. Only that God, when he is going to do something to a person... If God is going to bless a person, God uses different methods to give the blessing to that person. And God can say, well, I gave you a blessing. Or God can say, I used or I ordered this such and such person to go and give that person a gift, a present. And that person then says, well, a sister came here and she gave me a gift. But the person could also say, God gave me a gift. 
without mentioning which person it was that gave it to them because God used that person to give me that gift, this present. Now, this happened here. For it says that God moved David, but how? Well, by using the devil. God used the devil so that the devil could go and move David to number the people. God had not ordered David to number the people of Israel because God had told David that it was not by the armies or with many soldiers, but it would be with the power of God, the spirit of God, that God would be giving them victory. And that he, David, should not worry if he had little men or very few soldiers because it was the power of God that would allow him to win the wars, to come out victorious. Now, when he numbers the people, he offends God because he is not trusting God. In not trusting God, this is why he then says, well, I need to number and see how many soldiers I have. In distrusting God, this is his sin. That was the sin that David committed. And God punished them because it says that there was pestilence and thousands of Israelites died because of David's whim. But it was the devil who moved him. But God allowed. He allowed David to be moved to do this because God was very angry with the people of Israel and God also allowed for there to be a motive, a reason to punish the people with this death, to be stricken by this death. So God punished them all because they deserved it. But God was very angry with David. Now today, this happens in our lives as well. We could say, well, how could I know if it is God who is testing me or is it the devil that is harming me? Well, I'll say it's probably both things. The devil comes and harms me because the devil allows him. The devil allows the devil to do that. And if God does not allow him, permit him, well, then the devil cannot harm me. So I will say, well, maybe perhaps the Lord is punishing me or testing me. Now, if we are doing things uprightly before the Lord, then I will say God is testing me. But if I'm sinning and failing God, I can't say God is testing me, but God is punishing me. And God sends the devil to do all of these things, to place tests, to place difficulties. That is what God does. And this is how today we are able to distinguish between a test or punishment. We know by our own life, by our sincerity, our conscience, it tells us whether or not I, I feel well with God or these moments of difficulty are coming, then it means that God is testing me. But if I sin, if I'm failing him, then no, the Lord is punishing me. This is now our conscience that teaches us the state in which we're in and what it is that we're receiving, a test or punishment. Now, I don't know if that was what the brother was asking because I don't think I understood the question. No, that, that's, that is pretty much my question because we know that God is not unjust to send somebody and then condemn them for what he has asked them to do. So it makes perfect sense uh, as, as far as what you spoke. 
Sí, hermana, esa era la pregunta. Sabemos que el Señor es justo y, y Él no castiga a alguien uh, que está haciendo lo correcto delante del Señor. Esa es la respuesta. Gracias, hermana. Very well. Another question. We uh, thank you for this beautiful honor, this privilege to be uh, taught by you and to learn these beautiful hidden words, hidden messages in this in this book. Buenas noches, hermana. Es un honor. Muchas gracias a Dios por el honor de ser enseñados por usted los secretos y todo lo que Dios tiene en la Biblia para revelarnos. My question in Hosea uh, 2:18. Mi pregunta está en el libro de Oseas, capítulo 2. Verso número 18. Yo hago esta pregunta porque todas las personas con las que yo hablo de diferentes religiones piensan que este verso habla de la segunda venida del Señor Jesús. Or the coming of the Messiah. O la venida del Mesías. And uh, as we read the next verses. We can see that it was in the first century, uh, the time of Jesus Christ, if we read verse 23. Y si leemos los versos siguientes, vemos que todo esto sucedió en, la, en el primer siglo con el Señor Jesucristo. Por ejemplo, en el verso 23. So my question is, how do I explain, I understand that the beasts of the field or the birds of the air, it must mean us. But no bow, no sword, no battle on the earth. Mi pregunta es, yo entiendo que lo que dice en el verso 18 que las bestias de los campos, las aves del cielo, las serpientes de la tierra, puede, ser, puede referirse a nosotros. Pero cuando dice, y quitaré de la tierra arco y espada y guerra y te haré dormir segura, ¿qué quiere decir el profeta aquí en este verso? Very well. In Hosea chapter 2. The Lord speaks in general terms. He is speaking about the people of Israel. There were two siblings. There was Loamai and there was Loruhima. They are the people of Israel in the tribe of Judah. As they failed God, well, God determined to punish them. He had decided that he was going to destroy them, something that happened. But in the end, the Lord makes a promise. He makes a promise that would take place after Jesus Christ. Now, it is true the people of Israel, the people of Judah were destroyed and they were removed and God no longer gave them kings and they spent many years without God. They were slaves to different empires and rulers of the Gentiles. And when our Lord Jesus came, he started to give peace and freedom and blessing as it is written here in chapter 14 of chapter 2 of Hosea. The Lord, after saying he was going to punish them and destroy the Israelites and the people of Judah, then he says, therefore, behold, I will allure her and will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. Speaking of a woman, this whole chapter is speaking of the church first. It was the people of Israel who the Lord viewed as a woman, and she had failed him by committing adultery and following after idolatry. But he said in the future, he was going to forgive this woman, and he was going to give her a new life. This new life was with Jesus Christ, and it was about the church. Now, I think this is very interesting, and we should read, we should read starting from 
verse 12. So that way we are able to better understand and comprehend the verse that the brother is asking his question in. Now in chapter 12, it reads, and I will destroy her vines and her fig trees. And this is in reference to that woman of which she has said, these are my wages that my lovers have given me. So I will make them a forest and the beasts of the field shall eat them. And this is in reference to all of the people of Israel that had been punished because they became adulterous and went and worshiped foreign gods. So that's how they became adulterous. And so all of their lovers, all of the nations that they worshiped their gods, they were the lovers of the people who God saw and viewed as a woman. Now in verse 13, I will punish her. He tells this woman, he tells the people, I will punish her for the days of the bales to which she burned incense. She decked herself with her earrings and jewelry and went after her lovers and me she forgot. Yes, because they went after idolatry. Verse 14, therefore, behold, I will allure her. I will allure her, will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. This is when God, after punishing them, many years go by and the people of Israel do not have God. They have no prophets or kings, but Jesus Christ arrives. And when Jesus Christ begins to preach and teach his gospel, there symbolically or metaphorically, verse 14 is fulfilled when he says, I will allure her, will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. So there our Lord Jesus Christ begins to speak to people and tell them, believe in me, trust in me, because he has Come to bring salvation and bring joy to all human beings that listen to him and believe in him. This was the way that the Lord was once again winning over this woman who had already been rejected by God. Was rejected as the people, the people of Israel. But now they were going to be brought back as the church of Jesus Christ. Now in verse 15, I will give her vineyards. So once again, he once again restores the blessing. I will give her her vineyards from there. And of the valley of Achor, as a door of hope, she shall sing there, as in the days of her youth. Now, the, the days of the youth of the people of Israel, that's when they were with Moses in the wilderness. That was the youth of the church there. While they were with Moses during that time, they were righteous in the eyes of God and were happy. But after Moses disappeared, then the people failed God greatly. So this was in the days of her youth, the youth of the people of Israel, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. And, and it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. Now, there were other Hebrew translations here. Husband in Hebrew was Ishi and master was Baali. Now, I repeat, it says in that day, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. So you see, our Lord Jesus Christ promised that he was going to be betrothed to the church. So no longer would he be master, but now husband in the spiritual sense. Now in verse 17, for I will take from her mouth the names of the Baals, the other gods, and they shall be remembered by their name no more. This is true, because in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is no longer idolatry. There are no idols. And we now are witnesses that we are not idolaters anymore. Verse 18. In that day... I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field. These beasts of the field are people who behaved as beasts. 
And with the birds of the air and with the creeping things of the ground, bow and sword of battle I will shatter from the earth. Now this is in reference to people, people who maybe have traits like a beast, people who have traits like that of birds or creeping things. And bow and sword of battle I will shatter from the earth. Why? Because the people of Israel lived from war to war in order to possess lands and to have power and to have that first place. But they never achieved it because when they fell into idolatry, God punished them and did not allow them to attain all that God had ordered them to attain through wars. So in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, there will no longer be wars to possess lands or to possess over other nations and peoples. So you see, the war that we have now today or the war that the Church of Christ has is a spiritual war, a battle with the devil, where the devil comes against us to cause us to sin or to cause us to go back and regress. So we no longer care about fighting with another nation to take over their lands or their territory or to take hold of their riches no today we see nations with different countries but they are of different sort god is no longer in the middle god is not interested in those wars that exist today god now is interested in his church because now our fight is against the devil with the enemy now for that time for the church of god no longer will they have physical soldiers or will there be physical wars, but everything is now spiritual. He says that even us, we are soldiers of Christ. We are fighting against the devil in order to attain eternal life. So this is why it says in that day, I will remove bow sword of battle. I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down safely. And yes, Today, truly, among the problems that we live or we go through, we live secure and trusting that God is with us, that he protects us, he supports us. He is our rock, our refuge, our comfort. He comforts us. Today, he hears our prayers and he helps us so we are secure, we are safe. We say, I'm safe because God is protecting me. There are many dangers outside, but God keeps me safe. So this verse is fulfilled that in the church of God, the church will be safe and secure because God is with them. God is with the church, God is with us. Now in verse 19, it reads, I will betroth you to me forever. Now this is now speaking of that marriage of the lamb that is spoken of in Revelation. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in love and kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. That's it. Well, in that time, it says here, it shall come to pass in that day that I will answer, says the Lord. Now this... This is the promise. And these verses speak of the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that marriage, the marriage that our Lord Jesus Christ will celebrate with his church according to what is said in Revelation. All right then, brother. Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. May the Lord bless you. Welcome, Sister Mary Lisa and those who accompany you to Homestead. Thank you for your dedication and love for the works of God. Sister Mary Louisa, 
My question is in Numbers chapter 30, verse numbers? 2. Numbers? Numbers? Numbers 30. It says, yes. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement. As one reads the Bible, I have noticed that some things I can apply to my life today and others I doubt and I think could this be for the people in antiquity so how when we read the Bible how can one determine if it's a requirement for the people of antiquity or if it's for us today all right well this is why we must read the Bible all of it we must come and watch the Bible studies for theirs where we learn. We learn what we need to practice today and what we should not practice. For example, it speaks here of vows. Now, in that time, in the time of antiquity, people would make vows to God concerning certain circumstances in their life. There would be certain things in their life that they needed to change just to please God, and people needed to keep that because if they did not, God would punish them. Now, we have an example of a man named Jephthah, and he went to war, and he said that if he was victorious, that when he arrived home, the first person that he would encounter, that person would be dedicated to God. That is a vow. Now, when he did arrive home, his only daughter came out. It was his only daughter, and he was worried because he had already made a vow to God. The first person, he said, that appears before me will be dedicated to you. I will offer her as an offering. And so he had to deliver his daughter over to God. She never married, never had children, and she had to live confined and dedicated to the things of God because that is what her father, he had made this vow. And in that time, you needed to keep those vows and promises. Today, in the gospel of the Lord, our life is no longer about making promises to God and saying, God, I promise you this and that. Today, we are those who say, Lord, if you allow, Lord, if you allow me, I will do this and I will do that. If you allow, this is what we say today. But today we will not be making vows or oaths. There are people who make vows and say, Lord, I vow to you that every single night I will be in the church. No, that is wrong. You should not do that. Do not make those types of promises or vows. That is lack of wisdom. But we do say, Lord, if it is your will, if you allow, I will do this and I will do that. I will go to that church and I would like to go to the church every night. And I want you to help me so that I can be in the church every night. This is my desire. This is what I long for. If you allow, this is the only thing that today we can do in the gospel. So concerning the vows, we now know that the words that we speak, what we say, God hears and he will keep them in mind. Yes, let's continue. Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. May the Lord bless you. Sister Mary Louisa, this is my first time being before you to ask you a question. And it is a promise fulfilled of the Lord because he told me that I would be before his servant. 
And my question is in the first of Samuel, chapter 15, verse 22. First Samuel, first chapter Samuel. 22. Yes, sister, go ahead and read. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. Sister Mary Lisa, we see in the Bible that the people of Israel was very disobedient to the Lord. And we see in this chapter that King Saul disobeyed the Lord, which is why the Lord departed from him. And many different kings, sister, disobeyed the Lord and many different governors of the people of Israel, which is why the people lost the blessing of God. Sister, today the Lord many times gives us orders. Many times we disobey them. I would like to know, sister, if disobedience is a spirit and how, sister, can we deliver ourselves from disobedience or what should we do or what must we do for the Lord to deliver us from disobedience? May the Lord bless you, sister. Very well. Well, perhaps it may be a spirit or not, but we need to control, control our feelings, our desires, our ideas, our ways of thinking, be it spirits or whims or whatever is in us, God says we have the power to control our body, our lives, our appetites, our tendencies. We can control ourselves. Now the Lord said to Cain, when Cain and Abel when Cain killed Abel, the Lord asked Cain what he had done. The Lord had taught him. And he said, the sin is at the door. He said, the sin is at the door. But it is man, it is human beings who are able to allow that sin to come in or to be rejected. We, as human beings... We have this ability, we have this power to reject, be it a weakness in our flesh or a spirit, whatever it may be, we can reject it and say no. And disobedience. Today, well, the sister says, what is disobedience today? Is it a spirit? What can we do so that we can obey God? Because God gives orders. He gives orders today. God gives orders, and sometimes we don't understand what God is ordering. Sometimes we don't understand what it is God wants us to do. God speaks to us through prophecy. And we, we hold these prophecies in our heart. We reflect and we think. We don't know when this will be fulfilled. What is the Lord trying to tell me with this? But there are things that we, we, we must do. What does the Lord continuously tell us? Well, he tells us, continue forward. The Lord tells us, read the Bible always. Be sincere. Be prudent. Right? Uh, take or remove any resentment or grudges. Do not feel bitter. God or the Holy Spirit 
is constantly given, giving us this advice and he gives us these recommendations. We obey God with knowledge as well. If I know what God wants me to do, and if I understand, well, then I make an effort. I make an effort to believe God, to trust in Him, and do God's will to obey Him. And when I say, I have not been able to obey the Lord in certain things He's ordered me, well, I say, Lord, give me the opportunity, give me the time, allow me to do this which you have ordered me and I have not been able to do because I haven't had the means or the time, the opportunity to do so. So we are also aware in telling the Lord, yes, I know you've told me to do this and I haven't been able to do it, but I just haven't found the opportunity, the path or the way. I don't know how to start. Where should I start? What do I need to do? I don't understand, but I have this still pending you tell the lord i need to do this when the lord tells you to be prudent to be wise to remove all grudges all contentions and bad words you also tell the lord in prayer lord well you've told me to put aside all wrath to not lose control and to stop thinking badly and having malicious thoughts you tell me this lord i on my own cannot change i can't lord i try to change but i can't do it Please help me. Please help me to change because I can't do this. This is what we need to do so that we do not fall in the same things that these biblical people fell into disobedience. And well, the consequences were fatal. So today we have the Holy Spirit who is always reminding us. The Holy Spirit is always speaking to us and saying, do this and do that. He always tells us the same thing, practically. So, today, we have better guarantees than those of the time of antiquity, because in the time of antiquity, the Holy Spirit was not present. The Lord would speak to them only once, and they would forget. And today, the Holy Spirit, every day, is reminding us it's very well. Let us now go with the two last questions. Two last questions today. Sister, good afternoon. Homestead is in a feast with the Lord today because of your presence. We are rejoicing with you. And my question is a personal one because I, when I speak about our church and I tell the people that God speaks here through prophecy, people from other congregations tell me that they also have prophecy, that their pastor prophesies from the pulpit but you can tell them in my church it's not just the pastor but all of the congregation that's why that's why i ask this question for the edification yes. of those who do yes. not know. Yes, you can say, well, okay, the pastor there is the only one. But in my church, it's the pastor and the majority of the congregation. God gives us spiritual gifts, gifts of healing and deliverance and prophecy. And God teaches us. So the manifestation of God is very beautiful in my church. I invite you to go for you to experience that. And you will see the prophecy that you will receive in my church will be even more beautiful than the one that your preacher gives from the pulpit. 
Yes, sister. I tell them about all of the spiritual gifts that we have here and that prophecy is an individual prophecy, God with each person. And other people, they when I speak to them, they say that God uses them to give prophecy, that God speaks to them, and that tells them that they must also prophesy to other people when they don't have the spiritual gifts that we have here in the church or the baptism with the Holy Spirit. So if you can teach us about this for the edification of many people that see us in the videos and they don't know what prophecy is really like here in the church. Thank you, sister. Well, here. It's not so much about prophecy, but the joy and the peace that we have here in the Lord. And this is what we must teach people. People, we teach them that the matter is not so much about prophecy. Oh, okay, well, they say in my church they do the same. Well, here we have a new life change of life because the matter here is being happy the matter is not okay the preacher prophesies and he doesn't know who he's prophesying for because people are listening to the prophecy and each one does not really care about what he's saying so the prophecy in our church is that God speaks to each individual person and God speaks the hidden things of the heart. If this person has intentions of taking their own life, God immediately comes in and says, do not do that. I will give you happiness. I will give you peace. And God works the miracle and takes away that tendency because the matter with prophecy is not just that God is speaking to a person and saying, oh, you're angry and you want to take your life. No, God takes away that tendency because that is an evil spirit that has possessed them. An evil spirit with the tendency of taking their own life has possessed them. So in that moment of the prophecy, the Lord speaks what they are suffering and at the same time takes away or rebukes that evil spirit. So the person leaves free, happy, free of all of those things. This is what God does. This is what prophecy is. It's not so much that you are told, oh, you're going to have money and you're going to be traveling next week. You're going to go on vacation on a trip. No. It is a prophecy that if you have sadness, bitterness, suffering, sickness, and the Lord speaks to you in prophecy, he makes you promises of material things. Maybe perhaps he makes a promise of money and trips. But God also gives you healing in your body. He says you're sick, you are sad, or witchcraft, sorcery have been cast against you and there is sickness in your body. I'm going to free you. And the beautiful thing is that God works the miracle in that person. So prophecy is not just prophesying and giving a series of promises for the future, but prophecy is for deliverance and healing for that same person in that very moment. Because in that moment, that person is freed from those spiritual bonds. How many people have come for the first time and when they leave, they say, I feel free. I felt like I had a heavy burden on me and now I feel free. I, I feel like my body is lighter. I feel peace. I feel happiness. This is what I feel after receiving the prophecy. Prophecy is for deliverance. That is what God does. He cleanses a person, delivers them, takes away the bitterness, the sadness, takes away all of their disappointments, takes away all of the bad things that person has and the Lord delivers and cleanses aside from speaking to them and making promises and tells them how they are living their life 
And also the Lord works a miracle. He cleanses the body and the spiritual life of this person. This is the most important part of prophecy that we receive here in the church and what we need to teach other people, what we are living in our church, that God delivers, gives peace, gives happiness. This is the most important part. He gives joy. He gives the desire to live and continue forward. That is prophecy. It's not so much what I am told because for that very reason, people go to fortune tellers, witches, mediums, and they tell them about their future, their present, and I don't know what else they tell them, maybe the past, and you will do this and you will have this, and that person leaves with the same bitterness that they came in with, the same sadness they had, the same desire to take their life just as they walked in, that is how they're leaving that fortune teller, because a fortune teller will tell them, yes, you'll do this and that, but won't take anything bad that they have away because it is God who frees, who cleanses and purifies hearts. That's it. That is the way that we should speak. And that is the way, the way in which we will teach people how to distinguish the things of God with the things of fortune tellers. Because people, just as they walk into a fortune teller, that's exactly the same way they walk out with the same burdens and suffering. But when they come to church and God speaks to them, the person leaves free, happy, cleansed. That's it. The freedom God gives, that's the difference. Yes, sister. Good afternoon, Sister Mary Louisa. May the Lord continue to bless you greatly. Good afternoon, all the brothers and sisters. Sister, I have a question, if you will allow me. In the book of Exodus, chapter 30, verse 1 and verse 9. 30, verse 1, one to 9? 9. 1 and 9, okay. Yes, ma'am. May I read? Yes, sister. It says, you shall make an altar to burn incense on. You shall make it of acacia wood. Verse 9 says, you shall not offer strange incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. Sister, we know that these things that in antiquity the Lord ordered Moses to do had a symbol for our spiritual life, that the altar nowadays is our heart, and incense are the prayers that reach the Lord. My question is in verse 9, where it says, You shall not offer strange incense. What does it mean nowadays in our spiritual life that strange incense, or was that only for that time how can we interpret the strange incense is that god had gave a formula we can call it a formula or a recipe of how they should prepare the incense so the lord said it needed to be with certain perfumes certain oils certain essences and that is how they would then make up the incense and the Lord said, no one, no one could go and offer incense with different ingredients that what he had taught the priest, that no one could imitate or copy the incense or add a different ingredient to it that was not 
what God had spoken and no one much less should go and burn it in other places. This was then called the strange incense, something that God had not ordered. This is why he allowed that it was only the formula that God had spoken to them and it was exclusive, exclusive for the temple of God to pour that incense, that smoke, that fragrance for the Lord. Now we find here how the Lord's zeal is, God's zeal. And God teaches us that we ought to be only for God. God wanted, with the people of Israel, He wanted to form a unique, special, exclusive people that were holy and perfect for God, that they would be very different from the other nations. And God wanted this. But the people of Israel, their flesh did not allow it. There, that wasn't possible, what God wanted. So this is why with His church, with His believers in Christ, that they be that church, that only exclusive church for Himself. And this is why God was very zealous that people should not go and contaminate themselves. Now today, the believers in the Lord, and we know that our prayers are that incense that is lifted up to the Lord. Those are our prayers. But if my prayers, if I'm living in sin, and I'm doing bad things, displeasing things before God, well, then I am not that incense. My prayer is not that perfect incense for God. So today, I'm doing things that God is not pleased with. For example, in these times that we are living in, we are in this time in which people celebrate Halloween. They celebrate the Day of the Dead in some other countries. They celebrate the Day of the Dead, they worship the dead, they honor death. They also honor saints and idols of Catholicism. And also on the 24th of December, the 25th, they start to say that God was born, that God was born and you need to celebrate this day. So all of that we call paganism. All of that is idolatry. So me, I consider to be a daughter of God, and I am here in the search of perfection. I am on this path of being perfect in the eyes of God and living a pleasing life in His eyes, so I am praying to God. But I am celebrating these feasts, these holidays, the Day of the Dead, or, or the Days of Certain Saints, and all of these other matters. And these special celebrations and holidays, Halloween, which is the devil's uh, celebration. So if I'm doing that, if I'm taking part in that, do you think God is listening to my prayer? So God is going to say, you are burning a strange incense because you are not living an upright life. You are causing me to feel jealous. It is said that God is a very jealous God. He feels jealousy for us. So he does not want us to be distracted or that we have these types of distraction with these things of the world that are pagan because then our prayers are not heard by the Lord. 
And the Lord, well, he is not going to answer what we are praying for and asking. So this is the matter of the strange incense. So we ought to be very careful and very wise now that we have come to the church. We must be very careful with all of these feasts, holidays, and these types of commitments. You need to have great zeal for the things of God and have conviction. And maybe perhaps, maybe the wife comes to church and the husband doesn't. So maybe he forces the children to take part in all of these types of uh, feasts. Or maybe the husband comes and the wife doesn't, although generally it's, it's the other way around. But you need to have wisdom and tell God to help you so that you are able to resolve this and that you do not become a strange incense, but that you should always be pleasing God. We are not going to die of hunger because of a plate of food that is being offered to us that is a very, very good. Oh, well, this food looks so uh, delicious. How am I going to miss out on this plate of food? Well, no, I'll eat on another day. I'll prepare it on another day, but I'm not dying of hunger to celebrate with you on that day and eat that plate of food and celebrate the day of the dead or celebrate a certain saint, celebrate the devil. I don't need to be a part of that. We are displeasing God if we do displeasing God and our children, we must teach them. The youth, we must teach them that they need to learn to please God. So with children, okay, do you want to get dressed up for your birthday? Well, I will have you wear a costume on the day of your birthday. I'll invite your friends and everyone can come with a costume. And that day we'll have a lot of candy, whatever you want to call them, candy. Caramels, lollipops, all of that. So that's it. But we cannot fail the Lord. We must love God, respect Him, and not exchange God for a plate of food or a feast or a commitment. Oh, okay, the grandparents came, the uncles and aunts, and all have come to gather together for that feast. Oh, well, I'll gather with them another day. God is first. God is first. This is what God wants from us, conviction. And God gives us that. God gives us that. He gives us conviction. And I give God thanks that from the very first day that I began to read the Bible, I fell in love with God. And that was in an evangelical church uh, where they I, I didn't have that experience with God. But I still read the Bible and I fell in love with God. And I understood a lot of things. And then I realized what idolatry was, and I got rid of that. I fled from all of that. And I remember once one of my family members died, an aunt who raised me, she died because I said to the Lord, when she died, I wanted to be present and God fulfilled that. So when I arrived, she was there in a state of coma. She was suffering and my family was also there, my other family members, and they placed a giant cross with a Christ right on the backboard of my, my aunt. And when I came in to see her, the first thing I did, everyone was gathered there. The first thing I did was I took off that statue and I put it under the bed. That was my conviction. I did not care who was there present at the time. My family was there and it was such and such person and we needed to respect them. I didn't think about that. God was first for me. I came and I removed that cr uh, cross, that statue. I took it off. I put it under the bed. 
And what I did was I knelt down and prayed to God, laid on hands, and I asked God to no longer suffer and to take her. And that's what happened. A half hour later, she passed away. So what I had asked God came to pass. And my family, my family members who were all such fanatics of their religion, no one opened their mouth to say anything to me. They respected my actions at that moment. They respected that. Why? Because I had authority and conviction in the Lord. And surely that's probably what they saw in me. And we need to be that way. And today people say, oh, what's my mother going to say? What's my father going to say? My uncle or my aunt, my brothers and sisters, are they going to scorn me and criticize me because I'm not part of their gathering and celebrating their holiday and, and getting dressed up and doing this and that? God is not pleased with that and God will not bless us. God does not bless us. And then we come here complaining, lamenting ourselves and saying, oh, why isn't it God blessing me? I want God to bless me, but no, he's made me promises and doesn't fulfill them. Well, of course, are you failing God? Are you failing God? Are you not recognizing your error and flaw? This is why the Lord does not bless you. This is why God does not hear your prayer. And so that is what we must do here. We must be upright, and we must be exclusively for God because the Lord wants us to be singular. Do you know what it means to be singular? It means to be unique and special for God. The honor and the glory before the Lord. Now we're going to pray. Let us pray to God. Praying to God also to give him thanks for this place that he has granted us that God may bless this place and that he may bring many people, many souls that he may bring here to live and enjoy what we are enjoying. Let us pray, Holy Father, O blessed God, Almighty, King of heaven, Holy King, upright, righteous, kind King, great in forgiving and slow to anger. You are great, Lord, you are mighty, and blessed and praised is your name forever and ever. Lord, we praise you. We give you the honor and the glory. Lord, we want, we want to be pure incense for you before your presence, just as you have ordained that there be purity in our hearts, purity in our souls, that we may be upright before you, that we may be righteous, steadfast, that we love you, that we be sincere, and that we have great patience with those around us, that we have respect and appreciation for those around us, that we be tolerant and have mercy and be forgiving, and that we have all of these qualities so that our prayers reach your presence. In this evening, Lord, I give you thanks. Thank you for giving us this space, this place that has been prepared and set up to praise you, glorify you. Thank you, Lord, for having given us this place. Thank you, eternal God, because you know, and you knew what we felt in our heart 
in that small place before where we were uncomfortable, but having the hope that you, Lord, were going to open great doors of blessings and to give us a place to gather where the presence of your Holy Spirit will be manifested among us, where our prayers will reach your ears, my Lord, and that we, my Lord, be here praising your name, glorifying you, and learning your word, your ways, learning what a righteous, upright life it is that we ought to lead. Yes, my Holy Father, yes, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Lord. And bring people to this place and prosper them in their ways. And may you help them and bless each man, each woman, each child or elder that comes to this place. Bless them all. And may you extend your mighty hand and healing hand. And may you heal. May you remove pain. May you remove diseases. Removing, my Lord, all weakness from the physical bodies. May you heal all every organ in the body, cleansing and delivering and removing witchcraft as well, evil spirits, unclean spirits. Rebuke all power of the enemy and break chains, break ties, Lord, and break the shackles, destroy the work of the enemy. And may you extend your hand upon each person, blessing and delivering. I also ask, Lord, for a blessing for all the brothers and sisters and all the people watching us in this video. They also need, they have needs and petitions before you, a desire in their heart. May you, Lord, resolve all matters. May you resolve all problem or difficulty and extend your hand and bless each person. May you grant the desires and longings of their heart. May you fill them with the power of the Holy Spirit and baptize with the power of your Holy Spirit and give spiritual gifts. Give them spiritual gifts, my Lord, and send the power from on high. Power from on a high descend, my Father, in the glorious name of Jesus Christ, your beloved Son. Lord, descend with your power and baptize with the power of your Spirit. Send fire from on high, fire from heaven, power from on high. Send power, Lord, and clothe each person with power. Clothe them with the spiritual gifts, giving the spiritual gifts in perfection. And Lord, remove all evil and give your blessing. Lord, break chains, Lord. Break chains and cut those ties. Cut away the trap snares, those snares and traps of the enemy and send your power from on high. Power from on high, Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord. All praises are for you. Praises are for you. Glory is for you. All honor is for you. Blessed is our Lord. Powerful is our God. Powerful is the King of Israel. Powerful. Powerful is the King of Israel. Lord, revive your work in the midst of our days. Revive your work, Lord. Glory to the Lord. The church is yours. Glory to my King. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Send your power. Send your power, your spiritual power. Send your spiritual gifts. Send power from on high. Send that power from on high. Fire from on high, Lord. 
Send your power. Glory to my King. Glory to my Lord. Thank you, O Holy One of Israel, Almighty God. Thank you, O Saint of Saints, Almighty God. Glory to you, my Lord. Glory to you, O Divine Jesus, forevermore. Great are you, O Lord, and worthy of all supreme praise. Thank you, hallelujah, thank you. Thank you for your blessings. Yes, this is the great church of the Lord. The gate of heaven, tis the house of God. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. This is none other than the church of God. Yes, this is the great church of the Lord. The gate of heaven, tis the house of God. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. This is none other than the church of God. Yes, this is the great church of the Lord. The gate of heaven, tis the house of God. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. This is none other than the church of God. Glory to the Lord, and thanks be to the Lord. Thanks be to our God. The honor, the glory is for him. Thank you very much, brothers and sisters. May God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you.